Welcome back or welcome to the Stride with Grable podcast. I'm your host, Nate Reich. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Erica Gavel on the podcast. Erica is a 2016 Paralympian as a member of the wheelchair basketball team who represented Canada in Rio. There are so many details to Erica's story that I was not familiar with. We dive into her journey and how it wasn't linear. There was doubt early on, but at a pivotal time, she had a support team that really believed in her. I think her story shows that in life, there's going to be chapters that close, but never without another one opening. Without further ado, my conversation with Erica Gavel. excited to have erica gavel on on the podcast today we've we've done a couple of podcasts together um but it's i'm really excited to kind of dive into to your story and thanks so much for coming on i really appreciate it thanks yeah thanks for having me um yeah it's kind of different with uh you being the person doing the podcast (laughs) 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 yeah yeah i know i think it's like i think every time we've had a podcast they've just like strictly talk about paralympic sport and so i think it would be really interesting to kind of dive in into kind of where this passion of basketball came from i mean i i think where you grow up probably has a big part to do where that passion comes from but where did that passion originate um well, I think um, growing up, I always liked basketball in general. My uh, my dad used to be, well, he still is kind of an official in um, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. So it's like Northern Sask. And so he was a letter carrier and ref basketball after school. So because my mom was working until around five o'clock, he would pick me up from school um, or daycare even and then bring me to the games that he would be refing. And then I would just move baskets at halftime. And my cousin and I were close to the same age. So he was usually um, with me. So then at halftime, him and I were always playing with the basketball or shooting hoops while the teams were um, on the side. But actually, growing up, I did all sports. Like I played volleyball, basketball, and softball, and badminton even. And uh, when I was in grade 10, uh, Lisa Tamidis, the university coach here in Saskatchewan, um, came to my school with uh, her name's Sarah Cook. He was on the national team and played for the Huskies and also um, had a really successful career in Spain, one of the top uh, Euro leagues in the world, minus the WNBA. And when they came to my school and I met them, I immediately wanted to play for the Huskies and um, deep down, I eventually wanted to play for um, Team Canada one day. But the tricky part for me, I would say in grade 11 was, um, and in the end of grade 10 was, I was really heavily recruited uh, to play volleyball uh, all across the states. And even in Canada, I was one of the top, one of the top recruits um, nationally. And when it came time to make a decision, um, it was super, super stressful, but I eventually just chose the one that I enjoyed practicing the most because you spend maybe 80% of the time training and practicing. And also, too, I felt when I had the opportunity to come to the University of Saskatchewan that because Lisa uh, was with the national team that I would potentially um, have a shot 
she would be my best kind of threat to make that team. So that was one of that was the main reason why I wanted to come here. But then, I mean, like as soon as I met them and they came to my school, like Sarah Cliff gave me a jersey and a couple t-shirts, and I think I wore those. I think I wore her jersey to every single basketball practice, and I was always wearing Husky clothes in high school, and uh, I was uh, practicing every single day. Like at the end of the talk, when they came to my school, they said, "Well, Lisa said that she thought anyone at the camp, if they were to work hard and practice every day, they could make her team." So literally for two years, um, I trained every single day, and um, and then I made the team. So. Yeah, it was it was hands down the probably one of my most proudest moments. Like where I'm from, um, there's no there was no club basketball. There was really no high performance anything. So um, I kind of did it. I don't want to say on my own. Like I had support from my phys ed teachers and my basketball coaches, but not the same type of support they have in bigger cities. So um, yeah, no, it was uh, it's one of my most favorite moments for sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's so, that's so awesome. And it's, you know, I think we always think of our careers and sometimes we have this thought, thought process on how we think it's going to go. And a lot mm -hmm. of times it doesn't quite go that way. And, um, how was that transition going from college to getting injured, um, hurting your knee where the doctor said, you know, you probably won't play competitive sports again, mm -hmm. and then finding this, uh, wheelchair basketball, um, how was that, how was that transition? Not only physically, but also mentally. Um, I think for me, the biggest, um, transition was maybe mentally, like I hurt my knee in August, um, 2012. And so, um, the tricky, well, it was a really interesting time because, uh, that summer, well, before that, I actually had a bunch of injuries. Um, that really, they put me out for a year um, before that injury. So the year before that is when I met my sports scientist uh, who got me into wheelchair basketball, Bruce Craven. And for that entire year, I redshirted and uh, did everything I could to be in like the best shape going into that uh, season in 2012. And I mean, like I could confidently say I was finally at a point that I was happy with where I was from uh athletic standpoint and I was just so excited that all the work that I had done in my redshirt year was uh it was showing and I was excelling and playing really well just like shooting the ball and reading and I was faster and all that stuff and then when I wrecked my knee it was actually um while Lisa was at the Olympics in 2012 with the Olympic team basketball team assistant coaching and um initially I thought I had a bone bruise and and uh, the doctor told me I'd be out for six weeks. And I thought it was the worst news in the entire world. I'm like, I trained all this year and now I have to sit out for another six weeks. And then um, at the end of the six weeks, um, I, went and back, I went back and did a workout and my knee got swollen again. And I was like, oh, I thought I had torn my meniscus again. And um, in my mind, I'm like, now I'm out till Christmas, like so angry and so depressed and I kind of got my head around wrap my head around that being like okay I'll be back in January and then um I got an MRI and my surgeon uh called me like maybe a couple of days later he's like you need to come in and 
we need to talk about this. And going into that appointment, like I said, I was so mad. I was going to need to get my meniscus fixed. And then he's just like, it's a lot worse than what we thought. Um, you tore the articular cartilage. And like, I took my anatomy course. Like, I know what that means. And he's like, you won't, you, like, you can't, you won't be able to play. And um, I still remember that day. Like, I remember the entire day from the time I woke up until I went to bed. And I think in the first, like, month and a half, I told myself I didn't, I didn't care. Like, I don't need basketball. I'm okay. But then I didn't deal with things. And I just kept suppressing it. And then I would say, like, mid-October of 2012, I I really hit rock bottom. Like, I was making a lot of really bad decisions. Um, I wasn't doing – like, I was failing a couple classes. And, yeah, just questionable things. And I was in a really bad place. And um, – and like to be completely honest, up until that point, I was never, I was never good at school. Like I actually almost lost my athletic scholarship twice, which is so funny that I'm doing my PhD now because people in grad school they don't see me like as that type of student. Like the polar opposite. Like I love school and I work really hard now, but up until my knee injury, I really didn't care about school. Like all I wanted to do was play basketball, and so. I mean, even, like, Lisa can attest to, like, I remember going into her office and her being, like, oh, so uh, we got your marks. And I'm, like, I got 65.4. That means I can keep my athletic scholarship and you keep a 65. And she's, like, yeah. And I'm, like, I don't know what the problem is. I'm good. <laughs> and so it happened twice. <laughs> but um, the thing with my knee injury, actually, was the I'm actually staying at our house right now we're roommates but uh, my friend Dallas Emerson she was actually one of the she she was one of the best players in the country for most of her career and won a national championship and stuff but she's from my hometown so she used to pick me up um at like six in the morning before weights and then I would be at school all day till like 7 p.m and because I was on crutches and it was the middle of winter in Saskatchewan it was the worst right so, like, to kill time, I just studied and read my textbooks because I had nothing else to do, like, for 13 hours. And so, while I was really depressed about my basketball career, I was also learning that I liked learning. Like, I was like, oh, I actually kind of like this. And I started doing well in one class, but the rest of my classes weren't – they were really terrible. But the one class I was doing well in was – my exercise uh, physiology course. And so, however, like I would say in December, Bruce Craven, he called me into his office and he said like, he drew a T on a white piece of paper and he said, you have two options. You can listen to me and work with a dietitian, a psychologist, do your rehab properly, see an academic advisor, get like tutoring and everything. Or he said, you can do all that and listen to me and uh, make it to the Paralympics. And then I'm just like, you're you're crazy. He goes, no, you, you would make it in wheelchair basketball if you listened to me. Literally, that was the conversation. And I left his office and I texted Lisa. I'm like, hey, Bruce told me that if I listened to him, I'd go to the Paralympics in three and a half years. And she said, um, yeah, that's. I think that's a really great decision for you. And literally the next day was, 
full of training for wheelchair basketball to go to the Rio Paralympics, even though I had never played a wheelchair basketball game in my life. <laughs> and honestly, it was the most incredible journey ever. And I would say I was depressed about it until 2015. Like while I was training, I wasn't emotionally invested because I was really scared of getting hurt again. And I was really scared that um, like you 100% commit yourself to something with no guarantees. And oh yeah, I had like PTSD a little bit. Like if I had like the most, if I had like the slightest injury, I would be so scared about kind of like going back to those dark days. But um, when I went to the Pan Am Games in Toronto, I, that was definitely like, like the turning point for me um, mentally. And I think that's when I really overcame my knee injury where it was like, you know what? This is the most amazing thing ever. Like a multi-sport games was the most amazing thing. And that's when my training, like while I was training and improving a lot, in order to get to that like next level, you have to be emotionally invested in what you're doing. And like, and the difference between being emotionally invested and not is like being able to hold like a certain intensity for exactly one minute versus 55 seconds. Like that's the difference. And it was it was uh, actually the lead up to Pan Am Games where that kind of like happened for me. And um, oh yeah, when I made that Rio team, like that was that was like the most amazing moment of my entire life because I felt that. It was like we've we arrived. Like everything that I was working for, we had arrived and um yeah, and it so yeah, it was really hard for me though mentally to like completely um dive into wheelchair basketball from like wanting to have big goals. Like I was really scared to set goals for a while, but you know what, like because of that situation I start to realize that I have no problem taking risks anymore because of what happened like last time I know if I take a big risk and I feel I'll be okay there'll be like a process where you grieve and it'll be hard but it eventually be over so you just have to get through the hard thing and then you're back to normal so um yeah I'm I'm just super grateful for my knee injury and everything else yeah yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 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 so crazy how long sometimes the process can take, and uh, mm -hmm. sometimes it. I mean, even there's so much similarities between between our stories. I mean, mm -hmm. I was told the same thing that I would never do sports, and Pan Am's was the first time I realized, like, oh dang, like like this could be kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's just so funny how the steps things things can take. And as you heard recently, CBC is going to uh, live be able to see everyone's races and uh, compete compete live. Uh, and obviously you're a huge advocate for Parasport and you're so invested. Uh, what was your initial thoughts and feelings when, uh, when you heard this news? Well, I think it's about time everyone sees like Parasport. Like I think Parasport is just um, like what I learned about Parasport from my experience in Saskatchewan is that it's not that people don't like it or they don't find it exciting. It's the fact that they haven't seen it before. 
And so, I mean, like, I think it's just so incredible. Like, my hometown in Prince Hill versus Saskatchewan in Northern Sask, they're a wheelchair basketball city now. Like, they love wheelchair basketball Canada. And, like, even Saskatoon, like, so many people I know follow Paralympic sport now because they know what it is. And, I mean, for CBC to finally put, like, not finally. I actually love CBC. They do. I think they do a tremendous job. But, like, for Parasport to be showcased, like, to that much more of the country, like, not only does it improve, like, the uh, platform for Parasport athletes, like, Paralympic athletes, but, like, people, kids with disabilities will see um, people like them as professionals. Um, and like doing it as a career and they're not, they're athletes, like a wheelchair, all it is, it's the same thing as a golf club. Like it's just a piece of equipment and like how you move that wheelchair comes from training and like how you improve your golf swing comes from training. It's the exact same thing. So I think it's just so tremendous that, uh, more people will be like aware and even from like a business side, like more screen time is going to foster more sponsorships and and then like once there's more sponsorships there's also going to be more screen time after that so oh uh, yeah i just think it's the most amazing thing ever and yeah i think it's just excellent i'm so happy <laughs> yeah i know it's 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 super exciting and obviously you were just talking about sponsorships and i know that you're the, the new vice chair of canadian paralymp athlete council and obviously that's super well super well well deserved if, if i could talk that would be great um <laughs> but uh, uh what are you looking to do as part of the council and kind of what is what does the council exactly do um well i think personally my big thing for like getting involved is that so i've had like I, i'm not gonna get into details but like i've had good high performance sport experiences and i've had bad ones and but you know what like high performance sport is it's like one that once you have like a good experience it is the most magical thing in the entire world like it is so amazing to be like striving for something exceptionally hard, but have a team and people supporting you to like help you thrive or flourish, right? And I think unfortunately, not everyone gets that type of experience. And for the most part, those experiences are hindered because of bad policies and bad administrators and just people who are in it for themselves, right? That, that from an athlete's perspective, like I would say the majority of bad experiences come from that. So not sometimes selfish people. And yeah, that, that I think that's just what it is, but I might get in trouble for saying that, but whatever. <laughs> but anyway, but one thing that I really like with CPC is that like CPC does a really great job of actually asking like asking the athlete council for feedback on a lot of things from like the athlete's perspective. And the thing is, is like, I, I can't even count the amount of times where they've actually changed some things because what they see, how it is from like their lens is not the same way as athletes would see it from their lens. And so sometimes you need to modify things, even though you don't think it's a good idea, you just need to listen to people, right? So 
that was like one I would say that was kind of the driving force of me um wanting to get involved and make a difference but then like we do a lot of other things too I mean the terms of reference and stuff are already um that part's already done like so we don't have to do much policy stuff anymore and I think now like is just um working with CPC to like help them with things especially with COVID and um communication like even like even asking CPC or any organization to share information is it pushes them to be more transparent with the athletes and then also too like another thing is that without the athletes canceled the information goes from the CPC to the NSOs and if there's no athletes there to then share the information with the athlete reps, community, like it gets lost, right? So to have an athlete council, not only are the NSOs getting the information, the athletes are also getting the information through their athlete representatives, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it really just, it's, I would say the, the biggest thing is just having a communication pathway uh, directly to the athletes. Yeah, no, that's, that is outstanding. And it's, it's, it's so cool to actually like know the people that are, that, that are in the positions too, I think was, is a really big deal, at least for me as an athlete, it's cool to have you representing me and or representing us. It's, it's, uh, it's super cool. And, um, you know, before, before we talk about Tokyo, um, I think one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast, obviously there's many reasons, but, um, to really talk about wheelchair basketball and the similarities between able-bodied basketball. Um, mm -hmm. I assume there are some, some similarities cause it is basketball, but, yeah. but, but at the same time, I assume there's maybe some less three point shooter shooting and the pick and roll is probably a little bit different. Um, probably more, more, uh, off the ball. What are some of those, uh, differences than uh than able body basketball um it's really interesting because i think uh conceptually both games are going the same way like both games are actually starting their offense from the opposite baseline and like really in transition versus bringing it to the three-point line and then setting something up um so i think that part is similar but like in terms of the differences obviously classification is a big one um and then also too like another thing is like you can hold people out of the out of the the play right it's called backpicking essentially you can block their chair from getting over um half court or anything and then you can attack like a five on four or um a five on three even uh so that is a big difference but in terms of like the uh, advantages and disadvantages that's a big one in wheelchair is just like being able to attack with on numbers and then too like as for differences i mean in like there's really not there's like maybe a couple three-point shooters in the world whereas in stand-up like one team in university might have like two or three three-point shooters right so the game from that aspect is a lot different and like yeah like wheelchairs like a very much like pick or roll um type of offense and there's not as much lateral movement too so um 
there's that and like even like the physicality like in wheelchair basketball it's physical but it's like the chairs being physical so your body isn't um you're not absorbing or initiating uh, as much contact like we're in we're in stand-up um it it's just body right and like I was a three-point shooter and a rebounder and I was like a grinder let's say so I would always guard people who are bigger than me so like like I used to get hit a lot um and kind of like banged around I would, would just like work hard die for loose balls and um I kind of liked being like gritty whereas I really miss that actually um about stand up and even just uh yeah just having more more like guards and whatnot but then at the same time like in wheelchair basketball you have to be a way better passer because you're passing to people who like they could have a really like their impairment could be really high right from a spinal cord injury standpoint so i mean yeah it's uh it's really interesting it's it's very different, but it's very similar at the same time. Like, um, yeah. And then like in defense, you can like going back to the backpicking thing, like your defense really does start, um, wherever you pick them up But like, yeah, sometimes teams can't even cross half because you're like keeping them out with your chair. Where in like stand up, you hold someone's jersey and you get a technical foul. Like that would, <laughs> that would never fly. Right. Yeah. So, there's that and like from a defensive standpoint too there's uh like there's less shooters so you would play more it's it's more of like a zone defense like you can't really play the same style as of man to man because you would just get it's called getting picked out like you would get pick and rolled um out and you would be at a disadvantage so uh there's that as well like yeah it's interesting and like a post player, like in uh, stand up, I would never be a post player. I mean, I'm tall, but it's all relative. Like my roommate's like six two, and and I'm five eleven, and I'm not tall in my world. But in uh, in wheelchair, like it's more based. You're a post player if you're a four or five. So that's another difference too. Um, yeah, it's. It's really cool. Like, it's a lot different, but the, it's so similar, but so different at the same time. It's interesting. Yeah, no. Yeah, that that's why I feel like the, the multi-games are so much fun because you – I like, I feel like – I and then I went to World Champs, and I'm like, Worlds is so boring. Like, like I was like, I don't get to see all these other sports and, um, you know, distance running. We kind of get sick of each other. So it's always yeah. fun to, you know, see the new sports. And, I mean, basketball and rugby, sure basketball and – Rugby were by far my two favorite sports to watch at uh, at uh, Pan Am's for sure. Oh, cool! Did you come to our gold medal game? I actually was racing, so I un- ah. I unfortunately <laughs> didn't. Uh, I know I, I was super bummed, and I had to leave to Europe. And I was like, man, I want to stay and like watch. Um, <laughs> That's okay. You won't pull this all good. I forgive you. <laughs> yes, I know. Hopefully, hopefully Tokyo, I'll I'll, I'll get to catch you guys play, or oh, who knows what the rules are going to be at Tokyo. But yeah, um, hopefully, true. hopefully at some point I'll, I'll I'll get to see you guys play live, which would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and as as you know, Tokyo is less than six months out. 
Um, how has the preparation been? And I know being a team sport, I'm sure you guys need to get together for certain extended periods of times. How has that been during uh, COVID? Um, it's been very challenging, especially for, um, well, I think just our sport. I mean, rugby's in the same situation, but being like a court sport um, and team sport, I mean, some things you can, for example, like track and field, like during COVID, you, I'm going to assume you guys could still go to the track sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were so, really lucky. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like for us, the, it's hard to like the track and our chairs and it, it does, our chairs aren't meant for certain surfaces. So it's not as simple as just like going to the park and shooting on the baskets because like if the ground's uneven, you're going to miss pushes and it's just not the same. Like you can do it, but it's super, it's not good at all. So, I mean, that summer was really challenging, but I think overall, like I'm really proud of my team. Like we did a really great job of making the best out of this situation when all the gyms were um, closed. So last year it was a lot of like individual training. And then this year, um we kind of have a mixture of like kind of like how a normal year would be people in toronto training at the training center there um so there we can actually play um with contact and stuff and then we have some athletes in europe and uh down in the states and i had to come back for some uh family stuff but um other than that like we'll really start ramping it up in april for uh, the Paralympics. It's just really, it's kind of difficult for us because we have people all over the world right now. And with the two week quarantine, it's not as simple as like, it was already difficult to have people come in for uh, counts without the quarantine. And now with the two week quarantine, it's pretty much impossible. So come the summertime, we'll be training together uh, for about four months. That's awesome. Will you guys have any tournaments prior to 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 Tokyo? Or what is that? What does that look like? Um, we don't really know yet. Yeah, to be honest, it's it's really up in the air. Um, it's super complicated with team sport right now. Like, yeah, and the quarantine requirements and everything else it's like well if we go somewhere for a tournament and come back like it yeah it's tricky i think i think it's tricky for all athletes right now um i couldn't imagine being one of the athletes that hasn't qualified yet and having to navigate that like um yeah it's it's tricky like on a positive note being a women's team we could we can play against men um while it's not the same we can still have really difficult competition just based on the athletes here in Canada and our um next gen program uh but yeah I think it's just going to be a really hard year for everyone in general yeah and then talking about uh women's sport um I know you recently were featured in a in a in the article and uh, your quote said, we need to put women in an environment to, to succeed partly in those, in those years of uh, involved or in those early years of, of involvement. And I'm curious if you can expand on that quote and maybe what are, what do some of these opportunities look like uh, 
earlier in sport because I I do com com completely agree. I think um, you know I, I know a lot of the stats show that um, a lot of athletes just stop 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 playing when they're young because there's just not opportunities. Mm -hmm. Well, I think especially in para sports, so the lower levels is co-ed, and one of the issues with that, like, while it can be a really good thing for, uh, I would say for women and females playing against guys is that it's always like, you're always going to be like at a disadvantage. Like they're, the reality is they're bigger, faster, stronger. Right. Mm -hmm. But then the thing is, is that if you're new to that and you're not succeeding in, if you're new to an environment and you're not succeeding in any drills or, like you're losing every single time or like even the social part, like if you're the only female and you're with a bunch of guys, like it's just not the same. Like it really isn't the same. And you know what? Most of the guys are actually super nice. Like, yeah, they're never not nice and they want to be kind to you, but socially it's not the same type of experience. And if, if someone's not comfortable with that environment, like they're probably going to quit. Versus if they're with a group of girls, they're probably going to be able to relate to more people from a social perspective and so develop more friendships. And that's like a huge part about sport. But then they're probably also going to have more success in that actual sport. Um, and then that could put that could keep them in there longer, right? Because, um, I mean, if someone... If someone drops out in the first month of joining something because of a bad experience, like, we don't know. Like, they could have been, like, a world champion. That's the thing with with sport. It's, like, those early stages is just all about getting repetitions and uh, stuff like that. So um, I think it's kind of like that with anything, though. Like, people need to have success early on in order to, like, stay interested. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I meant by that was just parasport needs to have more opportunities that are like solely for a woman, especially in those like early phases of uh, like long term athlete development. Yeah, definitely. I feel like sometimes either female or male, we see like athletes playing for the national team and then we're like how do we actually get there like like what are those steps to actually get there and that's one thing that i've talked about with just para para track and field it's like i don't see any any development programs i just see like brent lakatos winning gold and then like mm -hmm. wait how do i get there like it, it's so confusing i feel like yeah no i agree and i mean there's some athletes like even like yourself you get involved and you're kind of fast tracked to the national program like same for me and like having a high performance background in able body makes that transition a lot easier because it's kind of just normal i think it's like oh if you want to be an athlete that's what you need that's just what you do right but for someone who didn't doesn't have a high performance background like i couldn't imagine just showing up with no high performance sport experience and being expected to live that lifestyle like it takes it takes a long time to learn how to be a high performance athlete like i still learn like, <laughs> like it's, it's not easy it's really hard actually and even something as simple as you can do everything right but 
if you have something stressful going on in your life, that's going to influence performance. So, like, that mental part even, not, like, mental sport, but just, like, wellness. Like, you need to be in a good place to perform your best. So, it's so complicated. Like, but, yeah, I think, I just think it's um, those development programs, they're so important just to learning like just to learn how to become a high performance athlete. So yeah, yeah, definitely. very complicated with parasport. Yes. No, it, it yeah. definitely can be extremely complicated. So now I have five rapid fire, more kind of fun questions. Um, the first question being, if your life was a movie, what would be the title? <laughs> Real life miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I I like it. If you, Based on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, if you could go to dinner with any two people, um, who would those two people be and what would be the main meal? I only get two? Yeah, only get two. so hard. The hard-hitting hard questions. Come on now. Um, I always wanted to meet Celine Dion. Love Celine Dion. I think she would be so cool and fun. So probably Celine Dion and I think my friend Dallas, actually, because she's a good time. And I think Celine Dion would appreciate spending time with us. <laughs> so those would be my two people. That's awesome. And then um, what would be the main course? Yep. Oh man. Um, well, I feel like it would need to be something really like expensive and high class because I don't think Celine Dion's like one of that dinner. <laughs> so maybe like Kobe beef flown from Japan like two hours beforehand, <laughs> or like sushi from Japan if we're like in Vancouver, obviously. Uh, like geographical location is going to influence us, right? Um, maybe like if we're in Toronto or something, um, like a lamb, I don't know, something also fancy. I have to I have to Twitter tweet this Celine and ask what <laughs> Yes, yes, you'll definitely have to do that. <laughs> oh my goodness, where, where she wants to go for dinner. <laughs> Where she would like to have dinner. So that would be like, that will take care of our geographical situation. And then yep. she'll have to choose what's for dinner. So. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, sweet <laughs> or salty? Um, both. Mixed oh. together. <laughs> Love it. Um, favorite place you have visited? I know it's another hard one. Ooh, that's tricky um let's see it really depends on what type of vacation like i well turks and caicos i always love going there my volleyball coaches from high school lived there so that's always fun but i think the coolest place i went to was actually santorini greece because when i was growing up and i watched sisterhood of the traveling pair of pants <laughs> <laughs> they went there and when I saw it I was like I want to go there and then I did 
Oh, that is that so, is awesome. Actually, sisterhood or Greece because that was a long time dream, and it, we achieved it. So, checked it off. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, since COVID, I'm sure we've all been watching a lot of TV shows. Well, well, maybe not you because you are so busy with school as well. But um, what's your favorite TV show? Oh, Emily in Paris. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because the French boss on there is exactly like Catherine Gosson Dupree. <laughs> and then the French boss has this American girl who's nothing about French come work for her, right? And that's and it's the exact same situation as Catherine and I uh, that is awesome that is awesome so funny but true <laughs> oh man that sounds like so much fun um and then i have two final questions that i ask everyone who comes on the podcast first where can people find you um on twitter or facebook instagram yeah so my twitter account's just my name erica gable and then my instagram account is uh Gable Erica, the opposite. Awesome. And finally, what do you want your impact to be on the world? Ooh, that's tricky. Um, impact on the world. I think, well, I really like helping people. So one of the reasons I love academia and research and teaching is because I get to help students. Um, improve so i think my my impact would just be helping people help themselves that is awesome and that is a great way to end it erica right. thank you so much for uh putting up with me for 40 minutes first off and coming on the stride this Girl podcast nice thanks so much for having me it was yeah. a really great time hope i didn't talk too much <laughs> no 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 Thank you so much to Erica for jumping on the Straw Describable podcast. It was such an interesting conversation. I learned so much about Erica's journey and moving to basketball. We will be coming at you again in a couple weeks. If you would like to come on the podcast or you think a certain someone would be a great interview, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at Strides with Wolf on Instagram. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be greatly appreciated if you leave us a five-star review. Until next time. Disability isn't inability.